More than I met Michael Fox, they meet Beyonce, they meet everybody. They, <laughs> and then I concerned about 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 Marty McFly. <laughs> but but all of you, that, that that means something. Especially if you if you if you if you if you're in if you're in the constituency of one of the people you meet today. You you really I mean that that has a big impact on on, on, on the decisions that are made because because they're more afraid of you, their constituent, than they are of me. <laughs> this is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. Navigating Parkinson's disease can be challenging, but we're here to help. Welcome to the Michael J. Fox Foundation podcast. Tune in as we discuss what you should know today about Parkinson's research, living well with the disease, and the Foundation's mission to speed a cure. Free resources like this podcast are always available at michaeljfox.org. Hello. Welcome to the official relaunch of the Michael J. Fox Foundation Parkinson's podcast. I am so happy that you are here. I'm Larry Gifford. I was diagnosed with Parkinson's at the age of 45 in August of 2017. I'm a proud member of the Michael J. Fox Foundation Patient Council, the host of Parkinson's IQ Plus U events, and founder of PDAvengers.com. And you might recognize my voice from another podcast I host called When Life Gives You Parkinson's. I'm lucky. I still work full-time. I'm the national director of talk radio for Chorus Entertainment across Canada. My wife, Rebecca, and I both grew up in Ohio. We've spent most of our 20 years of marriage on the West Coast, from Los Angeles to Seattle to now Vancouver, Canada. Our son, Henry, is 11. And like most YOPD families, we're adjusting every day to the wrenches that Parkinson's throws our way as it pertains to family and career and what I'm able to do one day and not the next. Having worked in radio for more than 30 years, I feel fortunate to be able to serve the Parkinson's community by hosting podcasts and events, sharing stories, and helping to bring important information to you regarding wellness, advocacy, and research. I'm thrilled that the Foundation has invited me to host these monthly conversations We're going to get to know each other bit by bit over time. Uh, But before we dive into today's episode, I do want to acknowledge Dave Iverson. For years, we listened to Dave host these conversations, host webinars, panel discussions, and more for the Michael J. Fox Foundation. And while Dave's still around, hi, Dave, he's irreplaceable. He set a standard that I'm going to strive to meet. And I hope I do him and you proud. As we are all learning through the COVID-19 pandemic, healthcare, immunizations, health guidelines, mandates, and laws can get very political and dicey and red tapey and a bit prickly. Passions run high. The same is also true in advocating for Parkinson's treatments, research dollars, and policy. We should be able to give them a shopping list of, of, of areas that they could help and, and, and show how we uh, paved the way and, 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 and yeah. reached the skids. And, and they can, they can, I would say, like, from one of my favorite movies, Full Metal Jacket, come in for the big win. Mm-hmm. You know, to come on in for the big win. It's, 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 we're setting it up to, 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 uh, to, to make breakthroughs in, in, in areas. And, in, um, and with, with, we need FDA, we need NIH, we need everybody to come in and, 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 and help us carry the ball across the finish line. 
You know that voice. That's Michael J. Fox in 2017 at a lobbying event in Washington, D.C. He's right. We need everybody, including you. In March 2020, the federal government passed the CARES Act, providing fast and direct economic assistance for American workers and families, small businesses, and preserves jobs for American industries during COVID-19. That means our advocacy from you and me is even more important now to make sure policy and decisions address urgent needs of the people with Parkinson's. Our stories, our experiences, our passions need to be heard and shown to our lawmakers if we've any hope of bringing about change. Your journey, whether a person with Parkinson's or a partner in Parkinson's, is extremely important and valuable in lobbying lawmakers. Here's how Michael J. Fox puts it. You're not out there to, to, to batter doors down or, or to scream at people. It's just, it's just, here we are. We're constituents. We're Americans. We're, we're Parkinson's patients. We've done our work. We've, we've showed up. We've, we've, we've represented our feelings in our case. We've, we've raised money. We've, we've raised money almost equivalent to what the, the government, I mean, we're the second largest funders of Parkinson's research after the federal government, and it's getting closer. The gap is getting narrower. It is important to note that members of Congress want to hear from you. Here's Shane Woods, senior policy advisor to Republican Congressman from Florida, Gus Bilirakis. It's all about building relationships with us. You get to know us. We get to know you. We want to hear your stories. In this town of how things get done, you're the reason why they do. While we continue to focus on addressing the challenges of COVID-19, we are still working on everything else Congress is charged with doing. So we want to know what's important to you. Your voice does matter. Most people have heard of Parkinson's, but most people don't understand what we endure. Each of us are on our own paths, and some of us need more access to movement disorder specialists. And there are communities in every country, including the United States, that need better trained doctors for early diagnosis. Everyone needs equitable access to old and new medications, treatments, therapies, and counseling. And most of all, we need a cure. A cure. We need to stop this. We need policy changes to make our lives better and to secure more dollars towards finding a way to halt Parkinson's in its tracks. So what can we do? What do we say? How do we even talk to our representatives? And does it really make that big of a difference? There are a lot of questions swirling around this topic, and to help us make sense of it, I want to introduce you to my special guests today. Ted Thompson, J.D., is the Senior Vice President of Public Policy for the Michael J. Fox Foundation. For the record, J.D. is not his nickname. It stands for Juris Doctor. Hey, Ted, thanks for being here. Hey there, Larry. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And welcome to Israel Robledo, a great policy advocate. He serves on the Executive Council for Parkinson's Movement, which is the integration panel for the Congressional Directed Medical Research Program and the editorial board of the Journal of Parkinson's Disease. And he's a pal of mine from the Michael J. Fox Foundation Patient Council. Israel, thank you for taking time to be part of the pod. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here. Well, there are, there are different types of advocacy, and what we're talking about today revolves around lobbying, which at its essence is trying to influence lawmakers to care more about Parkinson's disease. Ted, in this area of advocacy, how do you measure success? Uh, well, it's sometimes difficult to measure success because especially at the federal level, you can you know work your heart out and do everything right and engage uh, dozens or hundreds or thousands of advocates 
um, on an issue and still come up empty just because of the somewhat dysfunctional nature of how the federal government works. Um, so, you know, metrics for success uh, can range from uh, things like how many uh, meetings advocates had with their elected officials, how many action alerts um, were sent to their offices, uh, how many social media posts and retweets and things like that um, have occurred. Um, all of it, you know, aimed toward affecting public policy, you know, in this case, namely the votes of members of the House and Senate. And so the collective weight of all that uh, is really um, what will help tell us whether we're being successful in our efforts. All right. So I want you to get out your scoring pencil, Ted. This is the best test you'll ever get because you get to self-evaluate. What grade would you give the foundation as it relates to the success measurements you've just outlined? Um, I would give it, um, I'm I'm not going to be arrogant. We can always do better. So I'm going to give it um, an A minus. And I'm doing that because since the policy department was formed at the Michael J. Fox Foundation, it's a uh, it's an organization-wide effort. We have our, our policy team is only what people see because we've got tremendous backup support from marketing, communications, digital strategies, you know, pretty much every department. And so we have a really broad-based um, uh, effort with, uh, within the foundation to assure that we're making as many touch points as possible. So it's, it's really not just that single action alert that gets emailed out and somebody takes action on. We've got a, a much more holistic approach here at the foundation. So that's, that's why I'm willing to score it so high, because um, we're, we have had much more direct impact um, since the policy department was formed at the Michael J. Fox Foundation than we had been able to have previously. And when, when did that happen? That was a little over four years ago, uh, 2016. Wow. I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and think about how much you've done. I mean, that's, it's amazing. I wanted to touch a little bit on uh, what Ted was talking about as far as the measurement of success. For me, as, a, as an advocate, building relationships with staff members on um, Senate and House side and being able to call them up to where they know your name, they know what you're calling about, or mostly what you're calling about, unless there's something different that, that comes up. And the idea is that those relationships vary far. Uh, I have an example where one of my congressman's um, chief of staff went to work for a committee. And when I went back the next time, the gentleman that replaced him, he says, Paul told me you were going to be coming. And he told me that this is what you you work on. And he says, uh, thanks for 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 letting us know, and, and thanks for uh, that. Thanks uh, to you, we're still continuing the, the process of uh, helping with Parkinson's. So that that was a, a neat neat experience for me. Israel, Ted went to law school. What drew you into public policy? Um, being diagnosed with Parkinson's, and uh, knowing that my voice could be used to help uh, improve the quality of life of people with Parkinson's, and a big part of that has been through public. Uh, policy at work. What is it like to sit down with a, a congressman or, or a senator and and really uh, you tell your story and advocate? It's very, for me, it's a very natural process because I, I, I don't mince words when it comes to um, taking their time because I've, uh, I've been known to have been told, you don't like, you don't waste time, do you? And I said, no, because we only have a certain amount of time. And when it's a congressman, he could be called to vote within your 15 minutes that you have scheduled or whatever uh, that amounts to. But to be able to say, this is who I am, this is what I go through, and this is why we're here. It's 
a basic outline for everyone that I talk to, because what it does is it allows me to be able to answer their questions when uh, rather than running out of time and saying, oh, by the way, this is what we want from you. This, these are our asks. So uh, it's a very for me, it's very natural. It can be nerve wracking because you um, if you have a, a, a Senate majority leader and you're meeting in his office and you're saying this is why we're here. And he says, oh, don't tell me. Don't give me numbers because I know them backwards and forwards. And you kind of, you're taken aback in some ways because you're like, okay, um, where where do I go in to tell you exactly what I need for you to do? So it's, it challenges the brain when the brain's the problem. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. How receptive are they? Uh, very receptive. Um, uh, I often share that my congressman said to me, he says, when things come up that have to do with Parkinson's, you're the person I think of in the back of my mind who has come to me and said, this is what we need. And, and it's, um, it, it's impressive when they do that because uh, and just another example is I've gotten a call from a senator's office who says, and the young lady says, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm with Senator so-and-so's office. And you came and you talked to us about this. And the senator wanted me to call you and ask you if you could give us some more information. So very receptive. Oh, that's great. Uh, COVID-19 has uh, caused a lot of death and fear. But at the same time, coronavirus seems to have been a catalyst for more discussion around telemedicine and mental health, both really big topics for the Parkinson's community. A Fox Insight survey on COVID-19 has come back. From April 23rd to May 23rd, the COVID-19 survey obtained 7,209 responses from people with or without PD. And of the respondents, 62% reported canceled health care appointments, involuntary reductions in needed in-home care or difficulty obtaining medication. Non-white race and lower income were independently associated with difficulty obtaining PD medications. Uh, telemedicine appointments reported by 39% of the people with PD, but those with lower household income were less likely to attend appointments through telemedicine. Uh, we've been advocating for more access to telemedicine and access to mental health treatment for years. Ted, how can we leverage this for the PD community while still respecting the ongoing spread of COVID-19? Well, th this is actually um, one way to really uh, help stem COVID-19 infections is through telemedicine. Um, we've been pushing for it for years for a variety of reasons um, unrelated to a pandemic, but given the pandemic, it's absolutely for the health and safety of the patient that we need telemedicine uh, now more than ever. And the usage of telemedicine has skyrocketed beyond anything um, that had ever existed before, uh, which shows that the patients and the providers want this. Uh, there have been surveys done too, talking about what patients prefer. And a lot of patients prefer the doctor appointment from home because they don't have the stress of driving, of parking. Um, oftentimes with diseases like Parkinson's, your movement disorder specialist is not just five minutes away. Sometimes they're five hours away and you have to plan it you know, overnight. And so telemedicine not only makes it more convenient um, that we've heard from some folks who prior to the pandemic had never been able to actually see a movement disorder specialist, but because of the pandemic and the availability of telemedicine, they have now been able to see a specialist via telemedicine and they've gotten a better care plan. They're on the right medications. So for them, their lives have actually gotten better. And so given that we do know that there is a neurologist shortage in this country and a movement disorder specialist shortage even greater than that, 
this is like the only tool um, available to expand access to the specialty care that Parkinson's patients need. So it's so we are continuing to push hard to make this permanent. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Israel, what is the biggest argument against telemedicine? The biggest one that I've heard was that it's uh, it's not secure. Uh, the other one was uh, if I've never seen a patient uh, and so I don't know their background. Um, and our, our argument has always been like that, uh, like that that I mentioned. It lends to non-contact as for, for us uh, when it uh, in the Parkinson's community. And also it, it also it moves on to the mental health side as well, because to have a telehealth by video, again, for mental health issues, lends itself uh, quite nicely to what we're doing with the Fox Foundation. Well, and what's interesting is, you know, you think about like just having it available doesn't mean you have to use it. I mean, it, it probably is uh, if the doctor wants to do it and thinks they can be successful at it, why not let them? Uh, one of the other issues that has come up um, through the years is the licensure issue, um, because one of the greatest impediments to telemedicine is, you know, for example, if you know of a movement disorder specialist in New York and you live in Delaware where there aren't any, you cannot do a telemedicine visit with that New York doctor unless he or she is licensed in Delaware as well. And so that has become a big impediment. Those issues have been waived during this period. Um, you know, part of what, you know, our view is that, you know, it may, maybe back in the 1940s or 50s, there would have been, you know, significant differences in the practice of medicine in different parts of the country. But, you know, we're in 2020. Uh, I, I don't think you're going to see dramatically different care. And if you do, it could be that telemedicine will give you access to the better care because you are able to see the doctors that really specialize in this. One side note on this whole conversation, um, I've read that, you know, telemedicine visits skyrocketed. I, we mentioned that earlier, but I've been reading that medical practices are not embracing it fully. And the reason they're not is because given that the rules are not permanent, allowing access to telemedicine, it's, it's sending a mixed signal um, to the providers because they actually have to invest some serious cash into building out a secure telemedicine practice. And if they don't believe or don't know that this is gonna be a permanent way of life in the practice of medicine, you know, they're hesitant to, um, you know, to make that investment. Um, so that's one point. And then of course, if you've got smaller providers, you know, a one or two person shop, you know, they just can't afford to do it necessarily. So, so, so those are a couple of other interesting factors. And then finally, um, the United States, unfortunately, does not have uh, countrywide access to the internet because we don't have enough broadband um, throughout the country. So there are pockets, even in states like New York and California, that everybody thinks are so modern. You know, there are pockets where they don't actually have access to the internet, and those pockets are typically where the patients that need it need telemedicine the most happen to live. So hopefully, as part of you know the COVID response, um, part of a infrastructure bill uh, that has been talked about now for several years, hopefully will include a real investment to get broadband throughout the United States so that all patients and providers can participate in telemedicine. 
Oh, that'd be tremendous. That's that's amazing. Uh, Israel, uh, you mentioned that you live in Texas. It's quite a hot spot right now for COVID, and thankfully uh, you have not had COVID. Uh, but uh, April 7th was the first day that there were more than 1,000 cases reported in a single day in that state. Fast forward three months, and for the past few weeks, most days, it's greater than 10,000. Um, how how has the rising numbers in Texas affected uh, the precautions that you're taking? Um, I'm in Midland, which is um, about a population of 180,000. My movement to store specialists is 500 miles away in Houston. Uh, is that's the the hot spot. Um, as far as our community, it's basically stay in, um, keep your hands washed. Um, to stay away from each other, basically, and going out, we've noticed that the local stores are doing more of the um, preventative measures, requesting people to wear masks. Um, Odessa, which is about 15 miles away, has twice the number of people diagnosed um, with COVID. We can't figure it out. We don't know what's going on, uh, but it's popping up everywhere. And Sadly, we often said it's, it was hard enough to shut everything down when this started. It's going to be much harder exponentially to get back to reality and normalcy because we don't know this, this, this virus well enough. So um, as a person with Parkinson's, and, my, and honestly, I, to be, my, uh, I asked my wife one day, I said, do you want me to go to the store and get these items? And she, uh, she says, no. I said, well, I can do that. She says, do you realize that your Parkinson's could put you in danger? And I was like, oh, but I feel well. And But it, uh, it it's interesting that others watch out for us sometimes where we think, oh, I'm invincible. I'm good. I'm, I'll go. Well, going to the grocery store is a, is a, is a pleasure when you're socially isolated and <laughs> socially distanced. <laughs> right. How, right. Is that, how has that in fa- impacted your Parkinson's? It's it's really interesting because uh, I've I noticed the symptoms much closer than I would if I was out on campuses as a school teacher, and I I cover several campuses, but I notice a lot more of of what I deal with and waiting for the medications to get kick in and and when I, I can't move at all so it's fascinating um i again it's like wait a minute um I'm, I'm i'm okay i'm feeling okay but then the meds don't work or they take longer to work so as far as impacting me i just notice it a lot more uh, and i and it, and it may be that i ignore it most of the time if, as i'm busy yeah so. That's a good question. It's, it, you know, it is, it's interesting. You can feel the waves of the uh, levodopa kicking in and wearing off for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Ted, the congressional August recess is quickly upon us, and members of Congress are going home. Uh, what is the opportunity for regular folks living with PD? Well, uh, Israel described perfectly what we are attempting to grow in terms of an army of uh, Parkinson's advocates. Uh, where they know your face, they know your story, uh, you are who they think of when they they have issues come up. Uh, But unfortunately, because of the coronavirus, uh, COVID-19, that is not possible in the same way. Uh, As we've been building out our grassroots program, I've I've been saying, you know, I'm trying to turn the clock clock back 30 years before email, before social media, 
because what worked best then works best now, and that is the individual relationships that you develop with the member of Congress and or their staff. Oh, I thought you were um, going to talk about smoky back rooms and deal making. <laughs> <laughs> well, or one could have a whole podcast on whether that was a better method. <laughs> Arm twisting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so it's, it's a challenge for us because we really encourage that in-person um you know, activity. And, and we talk about how when you meet with the member back in their district or state, you know, they're not going to be called out for a vote or a committee meeting. You know, they're more relaxed. You typically have a little bit more time, um, which all of that is true in normal times. Um, but in these times, we've had to be a little bit more creative. And so we are engaging around the uh, August uh, uh, break uh, with Congress um, we're planning basically a month-long um, rollout of different activities, different actions that advocates can take. Um, and our, you know, the two priority issues are uh, uh, expansion of telemedicine um, and expansion of access to mental health. Uh, we haven't really touched on that, but it, that's not just a huge issue for the Parkinson's community, where 40 to 60 percent of patients um, have some mental health needs the course of their disease but um you know it, it's it's nationwide especially during a pandemic like this and the lockdowns and, and the recessions um so we are active we actually have put together um the most comprehensive august recess plan that we have ever had uh, the other thing that i'll mention is for those people uh, who have already met with their elected officials or have gotten to know them uh, like israel has if you have their email address, you know you you can email them directly and ask, hey, can I get a phone call to talk to you about these two issues? And because um, all the congressional staff are working from home, just like we are, and they could be working from home until there's vaccine, you know, which could be you know nine months, a year, maybe shorter if we're lucky. Um, and so it's it's just a different approach. But one thing we don't encourage, which uh, we used to encourage uh, heavily is phone calls because if you call the congressional office there's nobody there to answer the phone and their message box are typically filled and so that's where the action alert is the mechanism to um you know to connect with them via email uh, you, uh we have uh, tweeting capabilities um to connect with the members of congress their offices really follow the social media closely and so that's a, another good opportunity now, I understand the House Committee on Energy and Commerce Health Subcommittee held a hearing on high anxiety and stress legislation to improve mental health during crisis, which included uh, Parkinson's community priority. What can you tell us about that priority and H.R. 945? H.R. 945, uh, is it's pretty straightforward. It seeks to expand the number of providers that get reimbursed under Medicare, the number of um, mental health providers, by adding additional uh, practitioners. Um, one estimate is that that could add up to 200,000 additional people, you know, professionals to provide mental health services. So that's the bill we've been pushing. Others have been pushing um, for many, many years. This is an example of, you know, sometimes it takes time to get these things enacted. Um, that bill, we don't know if it's going to go anywhere yet. There was a, te a telemental health bill specifically. Um, that uh, did come out of the committee. I don't have as much detail on that, but uh, but the good news, I guess, in all of this is, um, you know, for all the partisan issues out there, these are pretty much nonpartisan. Um, Republicans and Democrats 
I, th I think they have the same ultimate goals in this area, expansion of mental health access, expansion of telemedicine. It, and, and sometimes it's not even a question of how we get there, but maybe more when we get there. It's interesting that you say that, uh, especially not now, not how, but when. Um, I, I was thinking about that last night. And I thought it, this does, this pandemic, and please forgive me if this sounds, uh, I, 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 you may have heard it as well. You can't waste a perfectly good pandemic before you can get things done. And it seems like this, and I'll call it a public health emergency rather than a pandemic, because it this is allowing us to see things that uh, more clearly, the things that need to be done and how they need to be done and how quickly they can uh, be um, enacted. Uh, it's, it's, it's a fascinating process that we're, we're in uh, politically. You know, public policy. Uh, Israel, we know the most effective approach to any advocacy effort is an alignment of messaging as it relates to what you're talking about right now. What's the message that we want to send to our lawmakers? Focus on telemedicine, the mental health issue, which goes hand in hand with Parkinson's. Uh, most about half of us uh, deal with mental um, health issues with Parkinson's. And um, again, changing the, the laws that are so antiquated. I like a prime example. Go ahead. Um, when we we're pushing for years for the creation of a national neurological condition surveillance system. Uh, part of the messaging was, you know, we know how many dogs live in the country, exist in the country. We know how many people drive Subarus versus Fords. We know all this data, but we have no idea how many people actually live with Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, MS. And, and oftentimes, or almost always, members of Congress were shocked. They're like, what? We don't, we don't count that information? So they assume that through our public health agencies and HHS that we had all this information, and we didn't. As we did go into the August recess, one thing to remember as advocates is that our Congress persons and their staff don't know everything about Parkinson's, don't know everything about mental health. So the ability for us to actually educate them on some of these things is so important. Oftentimes, you see them just taking note after note after note because they're going back to their congressman to, to share what we've um, talked to them about. So don't ever assume that they know everything that, that we are sharing with them. Make sure. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, we do advise our advocates to start out with a simple question: um, Do you do you know anybody with Parkinson's? Um, because if they don't, then you have a great opportunity for the 25-second description of the disease. But if they do, you found a natural ally and uh, us, and then passing that information on to my team so that we know those connections, um, you know, is is critically helpful. What else can people do to help right now? Uh, they're they're sitting on the edge of their seat listening to you talk. They're fired up. They're ready to go. What what next? How, how can they act? Well, really. Uh, and, and, you know, I have Israel jump in, too. But uh, really, I, I think people are paying attention more than ever taking every opportunity that they can to uh, lend their voice to advocacy efforts. That's, you know, whether it's sending an email, doing an action alert, you know, tweeting or sending a Facebook message, uh, all of those things, as I mentioned earlier, collectively um, bear, bear weight. If people are, are irked that Parkinson's doesn't get enough attention, at the federal level, the only way that it's going to get more attention is for, for those people to raise their voice, to engage more friends and family, to reach out to lawmakers. Don't be don't be silent. Silence is 
what is holding us back. We need everybody who is touched by Parkinson's. Could be the nurses, doctors, caregivers, you know. And we do have a ton of engagements, so don't get me wrong. It's just to move to really seriously move the needle. We need everybody engaged in this. Uh, it's it's more than a one step, one action. It's the follow up and the consistent um, engagement. Um, I used to be chief of staff to a member of Congress, uh, and he got elected by around a 500 vote margin. So when you're elected with that slim of a margin out of several hundred thousand votes cast, you become extraordinarily attentive to what your constituents are saying. And, you know, the whole point in running for office, and again, whatever your political stripe, I think people run for office primarily because they actually have a belief that they can make change, positive change, um, in, in, you know, in their vision, maybe not your vision, but uh, educating members of Congress, you can oftentimes change their position because they didn't know all the facts. They had certain assumptions. Um, and so, you know, don't underestimate the power you have as a voter and a constituent. Um, but another thing I just want to mention is that uh, it's critically important to be respectful. Even if they are diametrically opposed to you and on, on their politics, you got to be respectful or it's, you know, you're not going to help the cause. It'll hurt the cause. Um, and the other thing is we've had situations where our biggest enemy on a given issue becomes our biggest champion on the next issue. And so if we had burnt the bridges with that elected official, they would have never become the champion that they became. I mention it because in this highly politicized, highly partisan atmosphere that we this country is in right now, I think a lot of people probably assume that you got to throw daggers and stuff to get attention. You got to be mean and you got to use cutesy, you know, undermining terminology. Now, the same stuff that worked a decade, two decades, three decades ago still work today. And, you know, being respectful is critically important because, you know, you want them to respect you as well. That's sage advice. I appreciate you uh, saying that. Thank you. Go to the show notes of the podcast. There's a link to the Michael J. Fox Foundation Advocacy Interest Form. Once you sign up, you'll receive action alerts from us and more information on how you can get involved. Israel, uh, how, how would you communicate that to folks who are Spanish as maybe their first language? Um, primeramente, podemos decir que si están interesados en recibir información tocante a la enfermedad de Parkinson's, pueden uh, inscribirse en um, la dirección michaeljfox.org, línea advocacy, para recibir um, actualizaciones para poder responder a las oficinas del Congreso. And again, thank you both for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for, for inviting us. Thank yeah, you. thanks so much, Larry. Appreciate it. Ted Thompson, J.D., is Senior Vice President, Public Policy at Michael J. Fox Foundation. Israel Robledo is a Michael J. Fox Foundation Patient Council member and policy advocate. For more information on the Michael J. Fox Foundation policy priorities, advocacy resources, and updates from Washington, visit michaeljfox.org. You can also sign up for action alerts at michaeljfox.org slash advocacy or click on the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Michael J. Fox Foundation Parkinson's podcast. If you like it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps raise awareness of the podcast. And please share this episode with your friends and followers on social media. I'm Larry Gifford. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's the same handle at Parkinson's Pod. 
For everyone at the Michael J. Fox Foundation who is here until Parkinson's isn't, thank you for listening. Now, Congress is listening. It's time for you to be far more vocal. Your voice matters. Be well. We'll talk to you next time. Did you enjoy this podcast? Share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes. It helps listeners like you find and support our mission. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation at michaeljfox.org. Thanks for listening. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org.